anybody come to magnify the name of Jesus Christ? Doesn't sound like it. Does anybody come to magnify the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ? And I, I love, I love the line in that song that says, throughout the endless ages. Then he goes and says, you will be crowned with praises, Lord Most High. He is exalted in every nation. There is not a nation that will not bow before our king, even godless nations, even nations that don't profess faith in Jesus Christ. They will all bow and crown our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's who we come to worship today. Uh, I love seeing you guys, but I don't come to see you guys. I come to worship uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But it is good to be gathered here. Hebrews does say, do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Uh, but encourage one another. And I'm always encouraged when we get time to, together. Is anybody excited to see your brothers and sisters this morning? Amen. Well, y'all pray for me. I, I'm a, my, my body's a little sore. I, I played four games of basketball yesterday with the guys. Uh, and, you know, my, my spirit was certainly willing, but my flesh was weak. My flesh is now sore. Uh, but nevertheless, I dominated the court, so... Y'all know that's not true, right? <laughs> I tried to dominate the court. Brad over there got some skills, but, you know. Anyway, it's good to be here with you guys. What'd you say, Brad? <laughs> Put Brad on church discipline. <laughs> Grab your Bibles, man. Meet me in Numbers chapter 21. It's the fourth book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, for some of you, I know those pages are stuck together. Numbers in the place that you just are spending time, but we're going we're gonna to get there this morning. Numbers 21. Uh, as you turn there, let, let me just quickly say a quick word about um, our Spread Love Capital campaign. We didn't make any announcements about it this morning, uh, but I, I do want to mention it. it. It is something that has taken up all of our fall into the winter. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, our Spread Love Capital campaign is our attempt to raise resources uh, to, to get to obtain a larger facility. We have uh, been in this place now for some time, and we are spread out over three services. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I know is when you're spread out over three services, it's really hard to really build community with people outside of your service. So some of you only come to the 1130 service. And if you only come to the 1130 service and someone only comes to the 930 service, you could be sitting next to them on the train and not even know that y'all go to the same church. Uh, and so I, I really want to push us into a place where we can get back to one service. And so... Uh, the capital campaign, the spread love campaign was our attempt or is our attempt to do so. And you guys have committed to uh, giving a certain amount of resources. You guys kicked off on November 4th. You kicked off the capital campaign in a very generous way. And we have the, some of the resources that we need now to start to look for a bigger space. We weren't doing that just because we didn't have the resources. Uh, but I met with our management team uh, two weeks ago at this point, and one of the things they pressed us on was getting a larger facility. So we have actively been looking for a bigger space. I told you we weren't waiting 26 months. We're trying to do it as soon as possible. And so really I'm asking you to do two things. Number one, continue to pray for the capital campaign uh, and pray for our search. Y'all know it's hard out here in these streets trying to find commercial space in Brooklyn. It's expensive and square footage is just ingenuous. And so we're really trying to find the right open door. And I just believe God owns everything. And because he owns everything, he can just like say, that's your spot right there. And that's what we're praying for, is for favor and just open doors. So join me in praying for that. 
Uh, but secondly, if you guys had just continued to give towards the capital campaign, there's one thing to making a commitment. There's another thing to follow through with the commitment. So we're asking that you guys would just continue. And you guys have been generous, so just continue to give towards the campaign. Amen? Amen. All right, Numbers 21. My aunt and uncle is here, Uncle Lonnie, Aunt Joni. Wave your hand. Can y'all thank God for them being with us? All right, pick me up in verse number four. Numbers 21, verse 4, it says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. Underline this phrase. And we loathe this worthless food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, underline these three words as well, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he looked, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let me just lift up that last sentence again. It's very, very important. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. I want to preach from the topic this morning or now this afternoon titled Look and Live. Let us look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, as always, we come together in desperate need of you. We, we need you to speak to us. Your word really is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is a light unto our path. And so our paths are dark and we just don't know the direction to go in if we're not in your word. And so, Father, may we not presume that we can understand this word uh, outside of your Holy Spirit moving on our hearts. I love the way Ephesians 1 will say it, having the eyes of their heart enlightened. So, Father, would you open our minds, remove distractions, help us to forget about what we left at home or what issue is going on in our life, but help us to zoom in for these next few minutes on this passage. Ultimately, Lord, I pray the gospel would be preached. As I pray every week, Lord, shut my mouth if I don't proclaim Jesus Christ today. May we see him even in an Old Testament passage like Numbers 21. Show us Christ so that we may be edified and transformed by your gospel. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Someone look at your neighbor and just say, look. Oh, that was weak. Look at your neighbor. The neighbor next to you and say, look and live. See, y'all was waiting for me to say a whole sentence. No, 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 no. Listen, say, say look and then you say live. Listen, a few, few years ago, I... Um, I was privileged to go to London, and when I went to London, uh, the crew that I went with uh, decided that because we were staying there seven days, we wanted to get around the city, and we didn't want to use uh, the, the transit. That was before Uber, so we didn't have Uber to call. We didn't know how the taxis worked, and so we said, you know what we'll do? We'll rent a car. Now, I don't think it's a bad idea. You know, you're going into England, and you're going into London, and you rent a car, and I just, you know, I thought it was a good idea until I realized they put me down as one of the drivers. Still wasn't nervous, but then I realized that England's laws allow them to drive on the left side of the road. And I'm used to driving on the right side of the road. 
Didn't think it was a big deal. I figured I'd catch it pretty quickly. I wasn't the main driver, and so I'd watch him drive for a little bit, and then I'll jump in the driver's seat, and I should be fine. Uh, and when, when it was time for us to switch, he gave me one really, really, really good piece of advice. He said, whenever you come to an intersection, always look to your right first. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but pulling up to an intersection and looking the wrong way first can get you killed. And, you know, e even not just driving, but even walking in London was disorientating. Why? Because crossing the street, I'm using the cars coming one way and they're coming the opposite way. And, and I'm lifting this illustration simply to point out it is very dangerous to drive in London and look the wrong way. But likewise, in your spiritual life, it is just as dangerous for you to go through your spiritual walk looking in the wrong direction. Like, hear, hear me and hear me well. You, it is impossible for you to spiritually grow if you are not fixing your eyes upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is impossible for you to continue to mature as a believer if you are not looking at Jesus. Let me put Bible here really early. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 will say it this way. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And this is a real word for somebody. And the reason this is a real word is because you started out the year looking to Jesus. But now that we're at December 20, uh, 16th, you are now distracted and you're divided in your attention. And so, yes, you're still looking at Jesus, but you're looking at Jesus plus a bunch of other areas. And because you're not focused, it is impossible for you to grow like that. It is impossible for you to continue to mature if we're not looking at Jesus and Jesus Christ. Alone In our passage, number 20, Numbers 21, it's important that we don't parachute into Numbers 21 without considering the context of what is going on in this passage. This is what you would call the wandering years. This is when Israel, God's chosen people, this is when Israel has made it out of bondage in Egypt, which was Exodus 12. They've made it out of bondage. And in Numbers 21, they're simply wandering in the wilderness. They have not made it to the promised land. They're, they're in that in-between stage, the in-between stage of being delivered out of bondage, but not making it into the promised land that God has promised you. And why are they wandering? They're wandering because they can't stop complaining. Like, don't, don't miss what's happening in the passage. They are what, and this isn't the only place they, are, they complain. Israel has a bad habit of complaining over. Like, read the Old Testament. Look how many times they complained. And I know that's not your story. You don't complain. I know that's not your story. You, you don't like you. You think that everything God does is exactly what you you've never been confused by a direction he's given you. you. Like, I know that's not your story, but that is the story of the passage before us. They are a bunch of chronic complainers and they complain not just they don't just complain. Look who their complaints are against. Look back at the text with me. Two specific people they're complaining against. Verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient. I know you don't get impatient with God either. Verse 5, and the people, watch this, spoke against God. And they spoke against Moses. Now, Moses, I can understand. Like, and then I, I'm not even trying to be funny. Moses is their visible leader. That they're, they're wandering they're, they're clueless, they're aimless, they're hungry, they're thirsty, and Moses is with them so I can understand, almost understand them complaining against the leader. But you're complaining against God? 
God up until this point has done nothing but been good to them. God up until this point has been nothing but faithful to them. In fact, if you look at Exodus 12, who was the one that delivered them out of Egypt? God. Who was the one that sent 10 plagues against their adversaries? God. Who was the one that heard their cry as they were being forced into labor and beaten with whips? God. Who was the one that parted a Red Sea, had them walk over on dry land, and had it swallow up their enemies? God. Who was the one, let's go deeper, who was the one that's been feeding them? Like they've been eating for 40 years. Who's been feeding them? Who's the one who's been giving them something to drink? It, it was a point where there was no water around them, and Moses struck a rock because of God's power, and water started to pour out of the rock. Who did that? God. And so you fix, you talk out the side of your neck against God? How in the world do you talk against a God that has been faithful to you? How in the world do you talk against a God that has been good to you? And why are they doing that? Because they're hungry. As, as millennials say, they was thirsty. <laughs> and because they're hungry and because they're thirsty, you know, being hungry and thirsty, it always causes you to make bad decisions. Can, can we be honest? You ever, like, gone through the day and not eaten, and you just was irritable? Can't nobody come in your cubicle? Can't nobody come in your office? Don't text me. Don't call me. Let me just get some food. Y'all remember that Snickers commercial, where, you know, where, where they hungry and they were somebody else? Like, that's what being hungry... Being hungry makes you make bad decisions. My mother used to say it this way. The worst time to go to the store is when you're hungry. Why? Because you pick up a bunch of junk that you don't need. Why? Because we make bad decisions when we're hungry. And so they're allowing their stomachs to distort their view of the goodness of God. They're allowing their hunger and their thirst cause them to forget. They're getting spiritual amnesia. And they're forgetting that the God who had delivered them, the God who had sustained them, the God who is keeping them is the God who is continuously providing for them. And, you know, I know we look at this and we say, you know, one of the things I try to save us from at this church is looking at this passage and thinking the rest of the passage, if you were in it, you would be outside of Israel going, why are they complaining? No, you'd be complaining, too. Like, let, let me help you. You would be the you would be exact. You would be doing exactly what they're doing in the passage. You know how I know? Because we do it now. You complain now against the goodness and the grace of our God. You know how much God has done for you. OK, let me let me give you proof. If you want proof that God has been good to you, look no further than the fact that you're sitting in church on one of the last Sundays of the year when in reality you should have died January 1. But here it is, December 16th, and you sitting in church have the ability to wave your hand and say amen. God has been good to you. What do we have to complain about? But yet we are just like Israel. We complain about relationships that we're in, even though we prayed for that relationship. Like we prayed for that man. But as soon as we got him, we started to complain. We, we pray about being sick, and we, we start to doubt the goodness of God because of sickness, and we complain about not having enough money, even though God has been providing for you, you've been eaten, and yet we, st we still tend to complain, even though God's been good to us. You know what's funny about complaints? You know, complaints are, are funny because what you're complaining about, I bet you it used to be a prayer request. Wow. 
Like, you know how many of you I've prayed? If you come to me and say, Pastor, I just interviewed for this job. I know there's a Lord. I really want this job. You get the job, and now I ask you, when all you got is complaints about what you prayed about, about what you've made a petition to the Lord. We pray about stuff, and then we get it, and then we complain. We are no different than Israel in this text. Just like they are complainers, we complain as well. Now, they have three specific complaints. One of them is true. The other two aren't. Well, it's not really true, but it really discredits the other two. Look at the three complaints they have in verse number five. It says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Here's complaint one, for there is no food. Complaint two, there is no water. Look at complaint three, and we loathe this worthless food. Wait a minute, you just said there's no food. You just said there's no food, no water, but then you say, oh, but we loathe is another word for hate. We hate this worthless food. Now, why is this important? Because the food that they are complaining against is, is a flaky-like substance that God provided six days of the week called manna. God said, I would, every morning, you don't got to work for it. You ain't got to toil for it. Every morning, like dew is on the grass, you wake up and you're going to see provision. Every single morning in the sixth day, gather enough because the seventh day I'm shutting it down. You're going to rest. That's a good word right there. But, but they're complaining against God providing manna for them. And manna really was what was nourishing them. And they complained against something that was healthy for them. And that's what we do. God gives to you. God provides for you, and he gives to you something healthy, but yet instead of, you know, they complain because it wasn't filet mignon and shrimp scampi. And, and that's what, it may have not tasted like they wanted, but nevertheless, God provided. Look at the words that they use. It says, we hate this worthless food. The food that God provided, the provision that you ain't got to work for, God gave it to you, and you decide to call it hateful and it's worthless. What they're doing is they're calling into question God's grace and God's mercy and the fact that he didn't sustain them for a year or two years and then stop feeding them. But for 40 years in the wilderness, he decided to give them food. Really what this is is discontentment. And that's what we got. Some of us wrestle with discontentment. You wrestle with being content with what God. And what you do is you, you, you long for a season to come instead of being faithful over the season that is here. Instead of being faithful over and working what's on your plate, you want to look at something else. And so it's discontentment. I, I, I love this quote by a guy named Will Bowen. He says this. He says, complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of someone else's mouth, but not yours. It's true. You, you notice when somebody else's breath is stink. But when you're a little funky in the mouth area, you, don't tend, you tend to not notice it. It's the same way with discontentment. It's the same way with complaining. You understand and notice everybody else's complaints, but it's hard for you to notice yours. God provided? Shut up. If God gave to you, let's be quiet and worship him. Now, look, look back at the text with me because their complaints aren't just complaints. Look at how the text describes their complaints. Look at verse number six. It says, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Verse seven. And the people came to Moses and said, watch this. We have sinned. In other words, their complaints weren't just complaints. Their complaints 
was sinful. Why is this important? Because you think sin is only cussing, drinking, smoking, and having sex. But I just read in this passage that you complaining against God is sinful. You can, and, and let me just say, I'm not saying to you that you can't express your, your, your issues to God. I'm not saying you can't go to God and express your, 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 your hurts and your pains. Do that. You ever had that type of a prayer with God? Where's a what's up, God? I just don't understand what, like, every now and then you got to have one of those prayers. But that's different than complaining against what God has given you. And so what they do is they tend to complain. And what does God do? He's like, you know what? I can't. I'm so holy that I can't take sinful complaints. You know, no sin can be in God's presence. The Bible says he dwells in unapproachable lights. He does not allow your sin to be in his presence. Here it is. That's why we needed Jesus. Because outside of Jesus Christ, you have no hope of being in the presence of God. Jesus is our only hope. And so what does, what does God do? He's like, I'm so holy. I can't take these sinful, these sinful complaints. So what am I going to do? Send fiery serpents. I'm going to send snakes. I don't know about y'all, but I hate snakes. I don't, I don't even like watching movies about snakes. They put this little snake thing up today, and I don't even like, I hate snakes. And when I read this passage now, I'm, I'm considering this is how God views our sin. God is so serious about our sin that we take lightly. He's so serious and he's so holy that he decides my own people, the people that I have chosen to put my name on and put my grace on and put my love on, I'm going to pour out wrath on them. And so God sends snakes and everybody that was bitten by a snake, the Bible says that they started to die. And this word fiery snakes, really in the original language, uh, it talks in the Hebrew language, it talks about uh, this fiery is talking about the venom that they would have felt from the snake bite. And so God was, God does not take your sin lightly. Like I know you do. I, I know I do. Sometimes we, we fall into grievous sins and we're like, ah, oh, God, that's not that big of a deal. Like they didn't try to justify their sin here. Their sin was so serious. God says, I'm going to pour my, you want to know how serious God is about sin? Look no further than the fact that he decided to send his one and only son to die for your sin. Like we we are so unimpressed with the gospel. The fact that God looks at your sin and says, I got to deal with it. Oh, I got a remedy. Let me send my one. Like who in here would give up their one and only son for an enemy? But God does. Why? Because he knew that that was the only way to justify you. That's the only way to satisfy his wrath. Isaiah 53 would say it this way. It pleases the father to crush the son. It pleased God the father to crush his son. Why? Because he knew he was crushing sin. Your sin. Don't disconnect that sin that nobody else knows about. The one that nobody read your text messages, nobody read your emails, nobody looked at your DMs, that sin that you got us all fooled about, God hates it. The sin we enjoy, the sin we tolerate, the Bible says God hates it. He hates it so much that he decides to send snakes. Now, now, what do the people do? How do they respond? God sends snakes to start to bite the people. We start to see them dropping. And the Bible says that anybody that was bitten by the snake started to die. How do the people respond? Do they justify their sin like we do? It's not that bad, God. Look at what they do. Verse 7. People came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take the serpents from us. 
they respond in two ways, with repentance and with prayer. That's how they respond to their sin. They are exposed. God has sent his wrath. They do not respond and say, God, you know that manna was nasty, so we, we needed number seven with cheese, with a milkshake. Like, they didn't respond like that. They looked at what God was doing and said, God, we've sinned against you. God, we need to pray to you, and that is a good response. Instead of complaining, repent and pray. That, that's a great response. And you know repentance. I was talking with Timmy between the services, uh, between the service, first and second service, and, and we were talking about how, how, you know, repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. That's attrition repentance. That's not real repentance. Repentance is saying I'm sorry and turning away from it. Repentance isn't just say, I'm not going to do that no more because you don't want the consequences of the sin. No, repentance is, God, I hate the sin because you hate it. That sin, you, that you are wrestling with, God hates it. Do you hate it? Do you hate it the same way God hates it? So they respond by repentance and prayer, which is interesting because, you know, we typically don't like God's discipline. Let's be honest. We don't like when God disciplines us. We don't like when God spanks us. We, we don't like that. It don't feel good. But the reality is, if God never sent the snakes, they would have never repented. If God would have not sent the snakes, they would have still been in sin. And so sometimes what hurt them actually helped them. The snakes that they wanted to be gone is what brought them back to the Lord. And some of you, like you're trying to get out of a season of getting in trouble with God. And some of you, that's the best thing God could do right now is spank us and get us and get us back in line with him. And he does it because he, love, we, he loves us. Like it would be so unloving for me to see my boys doing whatever they want and me go, all right, it's no cool. It's, it's, no, it's no big deal. It's cool. No, that's unloving. What's loving is discipline. So what God does is God sometimes has to give us a little bit of discipline. So prayer here seems to be a better alternative than complaining. Prayer here seems to be the right thing to do. And so what is he? Respectful, though. Be, be respectful in your prayers with God. He fool around and cause a snake to come from under your bed and bite you. I right, look back at the text. So we, we got the problem. Here's the problem. Sin. Complaining. That's the problem. Complaining against God. What is the remedy? And that's what I love about God. The same God that, that gives the problem also gives the solution. They don't earn the solution. They, there's nothing in the text that would make them earn you know, God's favor. They get it because God is gracious and he abounds in steadfast love. Here's the remedy, verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, we have prayed, uh, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord, notice this, that he take away the serpent. So they want the serpents gone. And Moses prayed for the people. We don't know what he prayed, but we know they requested that he pray that the serpents be gone. What does God do? Verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, obedience. And if a serpent bit anyone, he looked at the bronze serpent. They looked at the bronze serpent and they lived. Notice this here. They've prayed that God would move the serpents. God doesn't answer the prayer the way they thought he would have answered it. He doesn't remove the serpents. He adds another one. And that's, you know, that's one thing that, that I've noticed about prayer. Whenever I'm making a prayer request or a petition to God, most of the time, not always, but most of the time when he answers it, it's never packaged how I want it to be packaged. Like they wanted the snakes to be gone. 
God doesn't remove the snakes. He sends another one. We put God in a box. We make God try to answer prayers specifically like we want him to answer. But you, you know how finite you are in thinking? You know how limited you are in scope and in time? God ain't, God ain't thinking about tomorrow. He's in tomorrow. You're trying to think about it. You, can, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows he's there. So God knows the best. And so he answers the prayer request, but he doesn't answer it the way that they expected. He answers it by adding another, another serpent. But this one's different. All these snakes that are around that are biting people and they're dying because of the venom. God says, add another one. But this is what you do, Moses. Pick up the snake, put it on a pole and lift it up high. And everybody that looks at the snake that's on the pole, even if they were bitten, will live. Now, I'm not sure if you're seeing this gospel implication here. Because all around us right now is, is, is invisible venomous snakes. Why? Because of sin. Now, not your sin. The original sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 caused all of us to be in a predicament where God's wrath is all around us. Okay, you don't, you don't believe me. Romans chapter 5 verse number 12 says it this way. Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. In other words, we all are, are on God's hit list outside of Christ. Why? You were born into this thing as a sinner. What does David say? I was born into sin and I was shaping in iniquity. And so all of us have around us God's wrath. But here's the remedy. The remedy for those that have trusted in Jesus is not to look at a snake on a pole. The remedy for us that have trusted in Jesus is to look at our king that is on a pole called the cross. The remedy for you and I to escape God's wrath is not to look at what Moses is holding up, but look at what Moses is holding up as a pointer to the cross of Jesus Christ. Go go to John 3 really quickly. Go to John 3 real real quick, because most of us in John chapter 3, the only thing we know is John 3.16. You know there's a whole chapter of John chapter 3. But we know John 3.16. But if you, if you read the rest of, actually read the preceding verses, John 3.16, it says this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall perish, and how we, uh, uh, shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, that's a shouting verse. That, that's a praise break verse right there. But look, at, but look at what the preceding verses say. Jesus said this, if you have a good Bible, this is in red. Look at what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, watch the connection. So the son of man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him, it says, may uh, may have eternal life. Notice what just happened. This is Advent season. The reason why we worship not Santa Claus, not a Christmas tree, not eggnog. Thank God for the hospitality team with the eggnog. But the reason we don't worship that stuff, the reason we worship the work that Jesus Christ has done is because the baby that's in a major fulfilled Numbers 21. Numbers 21 says that a snake is lifted up on a pole. Jesus is the Jesus is the connection. This is typology here. And this is why I rejoice over the gospel. I rejoice over the gospel because God doesn't say go over there and tap dance and do a song and a dance for me and then I'll accept you. God doesn't tell you to earn his love. God doesn't tell you to earn his favor. You can't work for this thing. 
It's only by grace alone, through faith alone, in the one that is high and lifted up on a pole called a cross. And that's why we worship Jesus. That is why every week you come in here and I yell at you about the gospel. The reason I do that is because Jesus bore all of my sins. I know that's not a big deal for some, some of you, you know, play with, I, like, I know my sin. I, like, I'm connected with my dysfunction and my shortcomings. And so I can't help but rejoice in the one that Numbers 21 says, Jesus looks back and says, wait, I fulfilled that. I've crushed that. And so even though there's venomous snakes around us, we have a savior that when we look upon him, here's, the, here's where we're in. You have been distracted. Even those of you who have, been, have professed faith in Jesus for a long time, you've been Jesus has become one of the things that you look at, not the thing you look at. Like, that, there's a difference. Like, you know, that's what I love about Christianity. It doesn't spread, like, the gospel doesn't spread our focus in many different areas. There's one area we look to, and that is Jesus Christ. And, and maybe that's you in this room. In fact, I prayed for you this week. All week long, I texted Timmy. I said, it today. I said, man, I don't know what it is, but I know that there are people that come every single morning and they're distracted. They're distracted and they're divided in their attention. I'm not saying you deep in sin. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you are, you are distracted and you're not focusing on the work that Jesus Christ has done. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, you shouldn't go into 2019 distracted. God has been too good for us to focus on other areas. The only place that they were able to look in Numbers 21 was at what Moses lifted up. The only place that you and I get freedom and transformation is on Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross. And if that's you in this room, we're not going to take long. We got another service, so we're not going to take long with this. If you've been distracted in 2019 or 2018, and you, you've been divided in your attention, would you do me a favor? I simply want to pray for you. Would you come to the altar so I can pray for you? If that's you, thank you for your boldness. If you're in here and you would be honest that, yeah, I, I, I've professed faith in Jesus and he's been one of the things that I've been looking at, but there's a couple of other areas that I'm interested in. Listen, they're all fleeting. Like, let, let me help you. None of it will save you. None of it will restore you. No other area will transform you. The only place we get to look is the cross. Thank you for your boldness. There's more of you. Maybe, may, maybe it's not distraction. Maybe it's complaining. Maybe you're a chronic complainer of God's goodness. If that's you. Would you come up here so I can pray for you? All you've been doing is complaining this year. Even though God's been good to you, would you come up here? Father, I thank you for the boldness of those that came up. Come on, is there anybody else? Nothing magical on this altar. We just are publicly professing that we've been distracted and that we've complained against God's goodness. Father, I pray for every single person on this altar. Lord, I look on this altar and see so many young people that are professing that we've been distracted, that we've been divided, that, Lord, some of us on this altar, yeah, we've trusted you, but we've trusted you in some other areas. Some of it's we've trusted our friends' counsel, and we've trusted in 
our ability to get things done. Father, help us to focus on you. This is a Christmas season where, by nature, everything around Christmas season is used to distract us. <laughs> everything. Father, we want to focus in on you. Some of us have been unimpressed with the gospel. We just have, it's lost its sense of awe. It doesn't move us the way it once did. Some of us started out running well this year, and somewhere along the line, we've been distracted. So, Father, I pray that we would walk back to our seats with a new sense of purpose. That we'd walk back to our seats with a new sense of focus. May we not be me sitting at the intersection looking the wrong way. May we focus in on you. Father, this passage really helps us to see that outside of looking at you, look, it's not just a bad idea, it's fatal. Some of us are declining in our spiritual life because of relationships. Father, I just pray. Again, nothing spooky. I just pray for everybody on this altar that you would use this moment not as a moment to say, look at me, but as a moment to say, I'm weak and I need somebody strong. God, you are that strength. Father, would you give them accountability? May they walk away and tell somebody else about what they're struggling with so that they can hold them accountable. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.